0: Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Crime, Lime, and Vodka. We're a newly established podcast, which is made up of a bartender and a hairdresser who likes to unwind with a cocktail and a crime case. We'll contain violent descriptions and streams of details following the murder cases. Here's to make a difference in the only way that we know how. Thanks for tuning in to Crime, Lime, and Vodka. back to Crime Lime and Vodka. It's Tracy and I'm Amber and we're going to be talking on the second part of our West Memphis Three case. So last time we were talking about the trial, their sentence, the crime, and the family. So we're going to continue to talk about the family and um, after Melissa had passed away what all happened with that crazy stuff and after the trial for the boys and the different appeals that they went through so we were talking about mark on the last one and we were talking about um when his wife had passed away how he kind of went batshit crazy even worse than what he did so melissa um died on march 26 1996 and they never determined her death so when they can't determine a death it's more or less saying they can't determine if it was a homicide or suicide they think it was a heroin overdose but she had so many prescription drugs in her system. She was on eight. They found
1: 13
0: in her system. So, you know, she had a lot of different narcotics in her system.
1: Home girl was messed up.
0: But, I mean, I feel like if my son was brutally murdered like that and I went through having to watch the trial and everything, if I was already addicted to drugs, it would have made it already worse.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Mark and Melissa were already going through all these tribulations in their marriage... Because they kept getting arrested for things. Um, Mark was arrested on felony charges of theft, and so was Melissa, for stealing $20,000 of antiques from their neighbor. So, quickly after the trial was finished and the boys were sentenced, they moved out to Cherokee Village, which is about two hours away from where they lived, to get away from it. They said they wanted to get away from... The memories of their son which i can understand but they also wanted to get away from the drug charges and the theft charges that they were against they also had been um charged with 13 counts of bad checks bouncing oh my that's a lot that's a lot of checks you never noticed were bad hot check mark huh mark also got arrested for um whipping the neighbor's son And he was five years old. And all he said was, I just slapped him a little bit with a fly swatter. Fly swatter. Well, if you're my neighbor, you shouldn't put your hands on my kid anyway. First of all, that's not your kid. Exactly. And they said, well, you know, you bruised him. You hit him more than with just a fly swatter. And they ended up getting a restraining order against him. He also held a gun to two 15-year-old boys to let them fight it out. A knife fight. He said, these boys deserve this. They deserve to fight it out. So he held a gun at them while the two boys fought with a knife. And he actually gave one of the knives to the boy. To one of the boys that was fighting. Wow. He was losing his mind. He is seen at his wife's grave in the, the documentary in the second one. And he's like fake crying. Like, There's no real tears that come out of his eyes. I feel like he was so... He was probably on drugs too. Mm -hmm. He was so crazy that he couldn't even fake it anymore. This dude is insane, but he was so determined to get the lies off of his back, like make it look like it was true, that he took a lie detector test. And whenever they came upon the idea that the boys actually had bite marks on them, he got all his teeth removed. And he couldn't get a story straight of why the boys... uh, why his teeth were removed.
1: That's a little
0: sketchy. And in the second one, Dan Stenum was the only um, defense attorney that stayed with all three boys. He was fighting for free and hiring all these people to come in and fight for these boys so he ended up getting in touch with the founders of the west west memphis three like i had talked about earlier mm-hmm. grove and burke sauls and kathy backen they all got together and they ended up taking classes for criminal profiling and they thought you know this would help us a lot to be able to help the boys if we know a little bit more about criminal justice so, they ended up taking a class from this guy called um, named Brent Turvey, and he said, he got a little bit into the case, Kathy started telling him about it, and he was like, hold on, get the attorney's number, get him to call me, and we're going to meet up. I want to look into this case, because these boys are innocent. So, he ends up meeting up with Dan Stidham, and they have a meeting, and he starts going through the crime scene photos. And he tells them, he's like, you know what? Sometimes the crime scene photos and the victims, they aren't great. They don't have all the different angles. But this is some of the most perfect crime scene photos I've ever seen. So he sees the pictures of Stevie's face mutilated. He sees the pictures of Christopher mutilated. He sees the pictures of their heads beaten. in. And he's like, okay, so you see there's a bite mark on one of the boy's head. Why did they never go into it and like search into it and get teeth impressions? He said, "You know, as soon as we say that we find teeth impressions, one the one that's guilty for it is going to get his teeth pulled." Mm-hmm. So Mark Byers got all his teeth pulled, and so did Terry Hops. And what was their reasoning? Well, Mark Byers tried to say that he was taking this um, medication for his brain tumor and for his depression, anxiety, and PTSD that it made his teeth rot out.
1: Yeah, but just at that time, though? Yeah. So Specifically?
0: he That was untrue. He also said that his teeth got um, bashed out in a fight. He got in a bar fight, and his teeth got ripped out. Mm. Then he also said that the oral surgeon just said that his teeth were so rotten he had to get them pulled. What about Terry? Nothing. He never said anything. <laughs> but later, Pam and him ended up getting a divorce. Um, Terry, well, we're going to talk about Terry in a second. Let me finish okay. Mark, and then we're going to get into Terry, because his is spicy. So, he faced all these criminal criminal charges, and he decided to take the lie detector test on the um, Paradise Lost 2. And <clears throat> the tester pretty much told him he was like okay we're gonna talk a little bit about us for a minute you we're not gonna put you hooked up to the machine yet and then we're gonna get into it and get you hooked up so he says you know tell me who was chris to you and he said you know chris was my little buddy and like he really did seem sentimental with it like he said you know chris had behavioral issues and he had adhd and i understand like him being the way he was Now I wish I didn't whip him or punish him as much as I did. Well, um, Brent brings in the conversation, like, he looked into all of Chris's behavioral issues and he was like, you know, this kid was on Ritalin for three years. If he was having all these issues and he was on Ritalin, wouldn't his issues be better and him not be acting the way he was? Almost as if he wasn't taking his medicine at all. But when an adult takes the medicine, it's almost as if they're on speed. They take an Adderall. Uh So one of the parents was taking his medicine, and he wasn't. He wasn't even getting it, and that's why he was getting in so much trouble. Also, if you're an adult and you're taking Adderall Ritalin, it makes you angry a lot of the times. It makes you have anger issues. You have a short temper. You don't want to eat. You lose weight. So it kind of makes sense as to what was going on. But he admitted that, you know... He was upset just like a normal parent would be. So um, after the trial, Damien didn't even realize that I would get this serious. And that he he thought, you know, if you've done nothing, they couldn't prove that you did it. And he said that he was the boogeyman of West Memphis. Like he was just making a funny remark. You know, I'm the boogeyman.
1: Just being a smart ass.
0: Yeah. And Terry and Mark and them took it as he really is the boogeyman. So they used that shit against him and really made him seem like he was. Um, Damien tried appeals to get his conviction overturned and allow, um, you know, when you're a death row inmate, you're allowed ever so many, and he went through every single appeal that he could, and he got denied for every single one. And they were all determined by David Burnett, mm-hmm. the same judge, the entire time. Um, because of the first documentary... Yeah, because of the first documentary cameras were denied to be allowed into his appeal. They thought it would get too much publicity. It would get him more chance to get another appeal, so they decided not to have him in there. This was his last chance with the Supreme Court, and if it was denied, it would be over Mm -hmm. for him until they come up with something else. Mark Byers uh, watches the advocates get interviewed. So, Kathy, um, Burke, and Grove are out all outside his appeal and they're talking and they're talking about what's going on with Damien and all these different things and he comes up and he's like you know I think it's kind of crazy that y'all are sitting here for some baby killers supporting them and they're like well we don't think that they're baby killers killers we think they're innocent and he's like going off, and they're like, well, what about you? Why didn't you get any DNA test ran? Why didn't you get your teeth impressions done? If you're so worried about that, why you didn't do it? He said, well, I'm not guilty. They said, well, I mean, we can understand you're not guilty, but how do we know that? You've never done it. Damien and them had it done, and it came back that it didn't match any of them. None of the DNA tests matched them. So, How is that any different from you? We think you're a weird-ass guy. Mm -hmm. So he just continued to go off at them. And they asked him why he never got his dental impressions. And he pulls out his dentures and, like, a string of spit comes out of his mouth. And I'm just like, ew. (laughs) Ew. (laughs) You're a (laughs) creep. Ew. This man disgusts me. Like, he's so weird. But, you know, now I feel bad for him because, like, he seems a lot more intelligent now. Like, when you see him in 2010... He seems like he's gotten off of drugs and he probably, like, finally came to term with things. And he's not as batshit crazy. So, um, Gary said in the second Paradise Lost that he never, ever had a doubt in his mind that they got the wrong guys for the murder. Does mm-hmm. Gary get Yeah. Um in the beginning when they asked you from a scale of 1 to 10 do you think that you have the right guys and you say 11 you sound like an arrogant asshole Yeah. so now it's not really any different not at all not at all any different so the bike marks are found all over the bodies and Mark had his teeth removed so it kind of seems kind of suspicious so they have some more forensic pathologists to check on the body So as they're doing that, they notice that, you know, Mark keeps returning to the crime scene. It's five years later, and he digs a hole, and he says, I'll bury you three bastards right here and send you to hell. And buries the mulch that he had that he was using as the boy's ashes, and then lights it on fire. He literally does the most stupid shit, and he acts so fucking weird the whole time he's doing this kind of stuff. And he says... You eat my baby's testicles and I'll burn you to hell. They never ate the kid's testicles. They never found them, but he didn't eat it. It was never proven that he ate it. Like he keeps coming up with all these crazy things in his head to say during all this and it just makes him seem so fucking crazy. I can't get over it. Like he, and we're not even at the beginning of it. So during Mark's um, polygraph test, he admits that he used weed, he used coke, and he used pills. And some of the prescription drugs that he was on... He pulls out a paper. He can't even remember all the drugs he was on. He was on Xanax, Zoloft, um, Senequan, Hadol, and um, the pack cody So he was, like, on a number of these things. So it makes sense as to why he was acting so that's all I that's the only word I have to describe him like he's just so fucking crazy so um March 19th 1999 Damien has his last appeal date and the judge had 90 days to decide decide on a verdict and during those 90 days he made his immediate decision within two days and he he denied it um Gail Grinnell which is Jason's mom she fought for his innocence the entire time he was in jail. As well as Jesse Miss Kelly's senior. He believed that Jesse was innocent the entire time. Damien's mother Pam thought that he was innocent the entire time. Like there's all these people that were behind them. But the biggest supporters that they had was the West Memphis Free Free. Like the people who started the thing, they were their biggest supporters. And I feel like that's really, you know, sad.
1: I'm glad that somebody Noticed at some point, like this doesn't make sense, and the cops are fucking with it. Let's do something. I just, it doesn't, it doesn't
0: get any better. It seems like, like Mm -hmm. they just continue to have all these letdowns. Well, Damien ends up meeting um a woman in 1996 named Lori Davis. They start corresponding with each other and writing, and. They instantly fell in love. Like, I think it's the most
1: beautiful love story because, like. Oh, wait, so he broke up with his baby mama?
0: Yeah. They After he jail? went to jail, she kind of went batshit crazy. He only saw his son on Christmas Day every year, and that was the only time he spent with his son. Mm-hmm. So, him and um, his baby mama didn't really. I call her D because I can't pronounce her name. Dimitri. Tree. Tear. She never really tried to be with him so he ends up getting with Lori and she's like his number one supporter she followed the case for nine years in 2008 it was nine years that she was following the case so they got really involved and they ended up getting married December 3rd 1999 and I think it's such a beautiful thing because like while he was in jail the only thing that could keep him sane because he was stuck in this concrete cell 23 hours out of a day only coming out to shower. It was nice to have that extra, like...
1: Why? You're in seg... Um, you're in seg whenever you're on death row. Even if you're on death row for 30 years or 10 years or however yeah. long? You're completely confined. Solitary confinement. Wow.
0: Segment. Um, he ended up getting his execution... Um, Overturned... Um, stayed. And his next execution date was in 2002. So, he had a little time to stay alive. And I just I feel so bad for him. Like, he really deserves so
1: much better than all this bullshit happening to him. How do you even give someone their life back, like, time back, you know? Like, all that time. Like, missed. all that time. He was sitting in a hole for something he did not do at all.
0: And they held their innocence the entire time. So, like, how does somebody maintain their sanity knowing that nobody believes them and you're sitting in this hole waiting to die mm-hmm. so he started meditating and he ended up taking up Buddhism and for their wedding he had shaved his head and they did a Buddhist ritual for it and I thought it was really cool cuz like Buddhism is all about peace and love mm-hmm. and reincarnation and everything and I just love the whole thing so um Mark ends up at the end of the the documentary Paradise Lost 2 he ends up singing Amazing Grace that he recorded and he likes to tell everybody that he recorded it for $45 he said you know for $45 you can get anything recorded and then he starts singing and I'm like this man's just doing this for publicity was that bad
1: though was it
0: good Sis, it was I'm so bad. bad I'm gonna show you <laughs> all of it don't worry I'm gonna show you all of this so he was arrested on june 2nd 1999 for selling prescription drugs to an undercover narcotic officer
1: Mm.
0: he was sentenced to eight years in an arkansas correctional facility and he was eligible for parole in october of 2000 so he was also sitting in jail exactly where he thought the boys should be it's a crazy turn, but um, it ends up kind of oh, changing his life. Like, he ends up becoming a better man when he gets out of jail. I find like he had so many things that he did wrong, and I think he just needed that time for a reality check. So, let's get into Terry. So, Terry Hobbs and Pam ended up getting divorced in 2004, but before that, um, right after the murder, they ended up separating two weeks after the murders. Okay. He was very abusive towards Stevie, Pam, and their daughter, Amanda. Amanda was four years old when Stevie was murdered. Excuse me. Um, Pam and him ended up getting in a fight, and Stevie had told his aunt that he watched Terry strangle his mom. Oh, my God. So he had a traumatic life. Terry was a piece of shit. I'm not even going to say anything good about him because there's nothing good about him he's a piece of shit so after the murder you know Pam's going through a lot of stuff and Terry he has ways that he just um comes off and he gets so angry and he just rages which just sounds like people in our lives Mm. um he ends up saying you know Pam kissed this Mexican a few weeks before the murder okay he said, you know, she kisses Mexican in our house. That, okay. That's all he says. So he beats the shit out of her. Well, oh, that was his excuse. Yeah, he slaps her. This is four months after the murder. Pam pretty much said, you know, um, our marriage is over, and she thought that Terry killed Stevie. She thought Terry killed Bitch, Stevie. Hey, when the wife thinks it. Yeah, um, he said he searched for CV for from 5 to 9 p.m., and he said that he was with Mark and Dana, Mark Byers, Dana Moore, um, at 6.30 on May 5th. So the neighbor that lived next door to Terry said that she saw Terry with the three boys at 6.30 p.m. So there's evidence that he was seen with the boys last, and he said he didn't see them at all. Which contradicts exactly what he had said.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: she tried to tell the police, but the police never gave her a call back. She called multiple times, and nobody had ever returned her call. So I thought it was really sketchy that they would, like, do that. So, um, after all this came out and all this stuff, Terry had gotten a fight with Pam about her kissing the man. And they had gotten an argument about him with another woman. And Pam's brother was there that night. He backhanded her... And she fell on the ground. He went outside to his truck, grabbed his gun, and came back in. He starts threatening that he's going to shoot everybody in the house if they get involved.
1: really fast. The
0: brother gets pissed off, and he charges at Terry. They get in a fist fight, and he shoots Pam's brother in the abdomen. Doesn't kill him, but he was arrested for the assault. <laughs> what? So, he already has antics of like <laughs> showing that he was beating her. He tried to strangle her. Um... Stevie had told one of his aunts that they would play this game called the dead roach game where Stevie would lay on his back and put his arms and legs out in front of him. And if he got tired and put him down, Terry beat the living shit out of him. There's nights where Terry would go into Stevie's room and make him watch him masturbate. Ew, what the fuck? It got to the point where he made Amanda... Why was
1: this guy not convicted? Like, why? No. Why was not this... Why would... Why?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It got to... It's so sick. Like, this motherfucker is so sick. Like, I hate him. It gets to the point where the grandmother says that um, there's evidence that he had Amanda and Stevie watching porn with him. And it got to the point where Stevie was forced to touch his little sister. Ugh.
1: Oh my god.
0: Disgusting. How are you this abusive, sexually, emotionally, verbally, physically, and not have anything done to you? Why is this not in court? Well, they like, don't care about Terry. This
1: is more believable than three kids who had a fucking alibi who don't know nothing about the kids. They didn't even know the kids Hmm. they didn't even know
0: anything about it but this man is being seen as a sunshine but he's really a dirtbag really a dirtbag so he ends up okay so we're getting to the point excuse me we're getting to the point where we're talking about terry um is getting interviewed he never got interviewed by gary gitchell or brian rich who were the two investigative investigating cops on the case they never interviewed him but they interrogated extensively mark byers so they never did anything to terry they never even looked into him they never questioned the neighbors around his house which i feel like would have been valid because it was right there by the murder and it was one of the boys that had got murdered so, there was something that I thought was really crazy, because later on, this is um, in Paradise Lost 3, where Mark Byers finally writes Damien and apologizes for what he had said to him, and that he knows that he didn't do it. He knows that he's innocent, and Damien forgives him, and he's like, you know, I understand what you were going through. You had your child murdered. Like, you were just angry. Like, mm-hmm. I forgive you. It's fine. And he is dead set on the fact that Terry committed the murder. So there's three affidavits that are putting Terry at the murder. At the murder. So they had this guy that he used as alibi, who was David Jacoby. There was this guy that um, had sold pot to him right before the murder had happened, and he was with two other teenagers. Um, one of the kids' name was LJ, and the other one's name was Buddy. And they all were riding around, smoking pot, you know, um, drinking whiskey, and they ended up going down a wooded area. And the guy said that after they had left, they went down the wooded area, and he had saw David and... He had saw David Jacoby and Terry making out in the car. So Terry was bisexual, as they say, and he didn't want anybody to know. Mm -hmm. And he had two teenagers with him. He had the teenagers get out of the truck... And take off their clothes and, like, start playing with each other. And him and Jacoby were doing sexual things in the truck. And they think that the three little boys had came up on it and saw it. And Terry saw that the boys have seen it. And he's like, get those motherfuckers. Mm -hmm. They get the little boys. And on all three affidavits, they said the same exact thing. Um, David Jacoby had picked the little boys up, took their clothes off. Terry had got out of the truck and it's gonna be really, really nasty. And he, uh, trigger
1: warning, trigger warning.
0: He um takes Christopher's clothes off and he bites his head and scrotum, on his penis. So that is what's on the three affidavits that were signed under oath to be true. That he had done that. So there's multiple things that are putting him in the place. Also, I had read something, um, when I was watching Paradise Lost 3, Michael, I mean, my Mark Byer had made this poster, which I think is so funny. He made this poster, and it's like, what makes Terry innocent and what makes him guilty? And um, on him being innocent, all it says is he was never interviewed. <laughs> um, truth. For him being um, guilty, <clears throat> it says um, he couldn't account for the time of the day. From six thirty to eight o'clock, he couldn't account for where he was. Eight thirty to nine fifteen. Ten till eleven fifteen PM and two thirty a.m. till five A.M. And um Jacoby kind of contradicts his alibi because he says that he was with Jacoby. But Jacoby says, you know, I wasn't with him at that whole night. Like he had came over, Amanda was playing with her toys, Pam was at work, um played a little bit of guitar and he left twice by himself so jacoby's kind of putting himself out of the spectrum mm-hmm. but both terry and jacoby's dna was found at the crime scene in the shoe strings that were found tied to the boys they had terry's <sighs> hair found in the ligament like what was held holding it together his hair was found in it and so was david jacoby's so it's just crazy to me that y'all are trying to say that these kids did it and they had no evidence to it. But here's the fucking and evidence. And it wasn't even Stevie's body that it was found on. It was found on Michael Moore. So it wasn't even his stepson's body that the DNA was found on. So you're trying to tell me that he didn't do it? You know what? You're guil- You're innocent until proven guilty. But honey, well,
1: I when think the evidence is stacked up. I,
0: I mean, think we're proving you guilty right now. You know? So, Terry still believes, to this day, that the kids, the three boys, had killed the eight-year-old boys. I'm not so sure.
1: I don't... Terry needs to reevaluate Terry, because I think Terry...
0: Terry did it, (laughs) honey. So, he literally becomes the next Mark in this one. He sues the lead singer, Natalie Main, of the Dixie Chicks for defamation. And he tries to say that she was slandering his name because she had posted something on Twitter or something about Terry Hobbs. She didn't even flat out say that he was guilty of the crime. Mm-hmm. All she said was looking to him. So he tried to sue her. And this kind of opens up his his whole background for questioning. So they bring up when he shot Pam's brother, when mm-hmm. he beat Pam, The sexual assault he committed on Amanda his daughter and she goes into details about him raping her and that's her own father like this poor girl's 21 years old at the time of west of Memphis is being shot and she's already addicted to all kinds of drugs she's been through so many traumatic things so it just kind of makes you think you know honey what did you do to this poor child so um, whenever they're questioning him they ask him, which is the Dixie Chicks' um, attorney. They ask him, you know, are you suing her for money? Like, are you suing her to get money out of this? And he's like, No, I just want to see the Dixie Chicks get humiliated, humiliated like they did to me. Mm. I think you're trying to get money out of some millionaires because you know they got money. And you're just trying to get money out of it. Like he was so dead set that he was going to win the case. So the crime timeline is what makes him look really guilty. The line of the murders were they left Stevie's house at 3.35. Um, Terry comes home from work at 4.15. He picks up Pam and brings her to work at 5. At 9.18, Terry picked Pam up from work. And at 9.25, he finally made the missing report of the little yeah, boy. So that's a few hours gap. And nobody knows where he was in between that time. He said that night that he was with uh, David Jacoby, but he contradicted that so many times. And another crazy thing is his nephew, Michael Hobbs Jr., had made an affidavit and actually admitted this under oath, and there was two other witnesses that said this. Um, He said that his uncle, Terry Hobbs, killed the three boys, and it was a Hobbs family secret. They said that um, Michael Hobbs, Sr. and Terry were sitting downstairs in the basement, and they talked about it, and he admitted to killing the boys, and he was crying, he was upset, and he wanted him to forgive him, and then Michael ended up telling his son, Michael Jr., that your uncle killed those three boys, but it's going to stay in the family. This is the Hobbs family secret. Um, we don't keep se- um, secrets like that, sis. No, <laughs> oh, baby. Another crazy thing is, um, Stevie had this pocket knife that he was obsessed with and he loved it. It was constantly on him. And Pam believed that it would have been on him at the time of his murder. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: They found it in Terry's possession. They also found a marble that was in his pocket in Terry's possession. And the whole time they're questioning him, um, about the lawsuit and everything, and they're going in his past. They ask him, they're like, um you remember whenever you had shot Pam's brother and you backhanded Pam and he just laughs. He like puts out this laugh and he's like, (laughs) yeah. And they're like, do you think that's funny, Mr. Hobbs? And he's like, well, you know, whenever you hear about it so many times, you just kind of get tired of talking about it. You think it's funny that you're talking about beating your wife? Um, There's this neighbor that he had named Mildred French and she had made um she had made a report that he had sexually assaulted her and broken into his ho- her house because one night she had heard a baby crying and his wife screaming so she runs next door she opens the door and she's like what's going on over here and he's like mind your fucking business and she's like i'm gonna make this my business if i hear this happen again i'm calling the police on you mm-hmm. so the next day she was outside she was cutting her garden lawn she she was gardening, doing her lawn work and everything. She goes upstairs to take a shower. And she goes to get the towel off the rod. And he's behind her. And he beats her. He grabs her breast. He, like, starts trying to, like, mess with her. And she's like, get out of my house. So he takes off running. She calls police. She makes a file. And when they're talking about this during his, um, investig- his interview, they give him the paper. And it's like, front and back, stapled together. And they give it to him, they're like, here you go, we're gonna let you read this segment from Mildred. And he opens it, and he slams it down. They're like, you read it? And he was like, I don't need to. I'm not reading
1: that shit. Yeah, because you remember.
0: Yeah. So, they're like, do you remember Mildred French? And they were like, he was like, no. I don't know who she is. Some old lady. And they were like, well, she remembers you. And like, they showed her on the interview, and she's like this, this the little old lady and she's like yeah i told him to get the fuck out of my house i told him to leave like i just think it's so funny he was about to get his ass beat by this old lady like she wanted to murder him um yeah the grandma also said that terry was like he threw stevie against the wall and they mentioned that in the interview and he laughed again like how can you just continue to laugh when because he knows he's getting away with shit and it's so sickening it's disgusting it's so sickening because he's so guilty and he just doesn't care but to this day he's still innocent and free he never was arrested they never retrialed the case with him so i just think it's kind of fucked up so um in 2010 they did an interview with jesse and he was like you know what this isn't about us it's about the victims having peace, the families of the victims having peace, and I feel like the police owe that to them. And my heart just shattered because, like, he wasn't even selfish about, like, I need to get out of jail. He's like, they, they deserve this peace. In 2010, Mark Byers also had um, a free WM3.org sticker on the back of his car, and I just thought that was, like, he really does support them. Like, he really does believe that they're innocent. And he said, you know, the propaganda that the media put out put there out about or, the yeah. devil worshipping, it was all hysteria. Scandals, boy. It was all scandals. Mm-hmm. Gitchell said that he definitely didn't regret working against them. and Shut he, up,
1: Gitchell. He still believed to this day that they're guilty. I hope I never hear his fucking name again. Ever again. Unless it's like, Gitchell died. a horrible death oh bitch so
0: in 2007 damien had um appointed a new attorney named don horgan and he helped so much to try and get them free he busted his butt they did conferences um with meetings of new evidence they went in front of the supreme court and tried to prove that they had new evidence and they needed a new trial to be put out and they again denied it. They said... A new judge. <coughs> they said there was no such thing as new evidence. It's still the same as it was before and there's nothing they could do about it. Um, they think at the end of the day that an animal had bit off the little boy's pieces, like the face and mm-hmm. the penis and everything. It was called Turtle I mean, Hill.
1: Believable, They were, like, in the water, you know? Exactly. After they died, hello. I and mean.
0: they weren't out getting murdered in the dark because they would have mosquito bites all over them. Yeah. Like, it's down south by us. Like, there would have been mosquito bites or something. So, they, they did this test where this turtle guy that would breed turtles... He actually had a snappy turtle bite him. And it was the same exact marks that they had on the face. Hmm. And on the arm and on the shoulder and on the body and everything. So they believed that it was a turtle that did it. Makes sense. So after one more time of trying to get a trial redone, they went to the Supreme Court and they finally got through with it. Mm -hmm. And they were going to give them a new trial. They were going to give them a new trial because they believed that the evidence was new. Um, they had no evidence towards the boys. They had evidence that there was somebody else that was guilty and they finally were going to give them a new trial. It would have been a new judge this time, but they also had this rare thing that was brought up to them by Damien's, um, lawyer and it's called the Alford plea. So it all started in 1970 where there was this guy, um, Alford Gint, North Carolina, He believed that he was innocent, but he had to plead guilty or he would have got the death penalty. So, it's kind of similar from that because that's what started it. Mm -hmm. So, the Alfred plea is whenever you're guilty by court of law, but you still maintain your innocence. You're going to have that you're a capital murderer on your record, but you're going to be set free. Mm -hmm. So, the whole thing about it is you're not going to be able to sue the state for keeping you in jail for 18 years basically what it is. Um, They would have been awarded $6 million between the three of them if they were able to sue the state. But they couldn't now. So Jason wasn't going to take the plea. He was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to say I'm guilty. I'd rather just stay in jail. Jesse automatically took it. Damien automatically took it. He wanted to be free. Jason didn't want to take it. Mm -hmm. But being in um, solitary confinement for 18 years, Damien's health was deteriorating. His joints were falling apart. Um, his eyesight was completely deteriorating. He couldn't see far away. He has to wear sunglasses 24-7 now because his eyes are so bad. God. He can barely read. Um, he was His health was just failing tremendously. So Jason said, you know, I'm taking the plea for Damien. Mm-hmm. Damien was his best friend his whole life. Mm-hmm. He was like, I'm not going to. The only reason I'm going to do it is because I want Damien to not die. And he felt like they would kill him in jail if he stayed in there so they ended up doing the alfred plea on august 19 2011. they walk in there they say it starts with damien he says you know i'm innocent of these crimes but appointed by my attorneys i'm told that this is my best route and I'm going to go ahead and take it. I'm pleading guilty to that for plea. So it goes on. Jason does the same thing. Jesse get, does the same thing. And they end up getting released on August 19, 2011. After serving 18 years and 79 days in jail. Wow. So so they've really only been out, what, nine years now? August 19th made nine years since they got out. Um, the only thing was um, them being out they had to go the next 10 years without any violations of the law or they were going to go back to jail and serve their time that they were originally convicted to be sentenced. Um, I forgot to mention this, but I think this is really crazy. One of the jurors that they had for Jesse's trial, um, Jason and Damien's trial, Kent Arnold, he already determined before he was picked as a juror that they were guilty because he was following the media and he even when they were doing a deliberation on their trial, they weren't allowed to speak about any evidence with Jesse mm-hmm. or his confession tape. He told everybody what he said on his confession tape at the deliberation. So he kinda helped He manipulated, he manipulated the fuck them manipulated
1: the situation. He knew
0: what he wanted. He wanted them all guilty and he did it. And I think it's so fucked up that there's people like this who Why get away with this literally? kind of shit
1: played a part in ruining three people's lives. Like, even though that they're free now and it's all good, they still spent 18 years in prison that they could have been free. Damien could have been raising his kid. Yeah. We don't know that. Oh, yeah. Things could have been different, you know? Like... I wish things would have been different. Messed up.
0: So, now, um... This is what they're doing now. Jason ended up marrying a woman named Holly when they met, when he was in prison. And Damien, it just made 21 years married to Lori. Um, Jesse is actually living in Arkansas in his father's home, and he's terrified to come out because he's scared he's going to be arrested again.
1: Yeah, poor kid. Oh, uh, poor man. Poor,
0: poor man. He, um, recently got arrested for... <laughs> he recently got arrested for driving without a license. Oh,
1: my God. He had three...
0: Um, three convictions on it but i don't know if he got out there's not a whole lot about jesse i feel really bad because he
1: poor y'all jesse needs some help
0: get him some milk jesse
1: needs some milk
0: (laughs) um i do need some help jason moved to seattle with his wife and he started he co-founded this thing that helps guys who well people in general who are convicted falsely convicted and wrongly convicted so he helps get them out and he helps fund it.
1: Hell yeah.
0: He ended up studying law when he was in jail and he's now in graduate school for law school. Okay. Damien moved to Salem, Massachusetts, which I feel like is perfect for him because of witch trials.
1: And that's pretty much a fuck you to everybody. Everybody.
0: He fits in. Mm-hmm. But they ended up moving to New York where his wife's from and he opened his own meditation center where he teaches people Love how to meditate. That. Yeah. And um, John Mark Byers remains a 100% advocate for the West Memphis Three's innocence. And I just think it's fucking crazy that this shit still happens this night.
1: Um, and I think it's also crazy that nobody's saying nothing about Terry. (laughs) What Terry's doing? Where Terry's at? Not in jail? Oh. And the case
0: is, it could be reopened. And they can do it without Double Jeopardy. Like, they can't reconvict the three boys. Mm -hmm. They can't let them off because of Double Jeopardy. But they can definitely look into Terry. And this man's still in the loose. I think it's insane. But, yeah, now that I can stop rambling, thank you guys for tuning in to West Memphis 3 case. Um, I was so excited,
1: and I feel like I left a lot of information out. but I learned a lot. It was a lot. It was a big case. It was good, though. It was good. And I can't wait to go watch um, the series. It's on Netflix. No, it's on Amazon Prime. But Amazon Prime. You're about to people. watch it. To Amazon watch it. Prime. Look that she's up. My wife is so tired of watching this shit with me. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be like, you're turning this shit on again. Yeah. See, I'm probably yeah, going to be cool, but it's all right. Oh, it's well. cool. It's cool. We it's like cool.
0: it. Well, thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you next time <laughs> Bye. on Cry My Abaca.